The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Fellow citizens. You're cheering me. You're cheering me. That is a mistake. It is number two. You should applaud. Until he brought about my social conversion, and believe me, it was him and not your committee, until then, I was a rebel, an unmutual, senselessly resisting this, our fine community. To borrow one of number two's sayings, the butcher with the sharpest knife has the warmest heart. Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, September 15th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be As everybody knows, socialism has a warm heart and is all about love and caring for one another. Capitalism is a cold and impersonal system where people only love money and care about their own self-interest. Today we're going to perform some creative destruction as we deconstruct and reconstruct the polarized and irrational arguments you hear daily in ways and forms you probably aren't even aware of about the conflict between capitalism and every other socio-political variant on the planet. Before we get started, don't forget, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ at 5130 kHz and on channel 292 at 6070 kHz, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. Can capitalism save itself? Capitalism is creating conditions that gnaw away at its own success, reads the headline of a commentary written by someone who has no interest in saving capitalism but in utterly destroying it. That commentary appeared July 2nd in the London Free Press and was written by R. Michael Warren, former corporate director, former Ontario deputy minister, former TTC chief, general manager, and Canada Post CEO. And what he has written is practically pure state propaganda. It runs so deep in their psyche that only by deconstructing their own statements one step at a time can we see the hatred of capitalism for what it is. And that's what it is. Quote, Capitalism has been under siege for some time, but it always seemed able to reform itself. Today I'm not so sure. The website True Activist frames the problem this way. Quote, with traditional capitalism, you have two cows. You sell one and buy a bull. Your herd multiplies and the economy grows. You sell them and retire on the income. With today's capitalism, you have two cows. You sell three of them to your publicly listed company using letters of credit arranged by your brother-in-law at the bank. You then execute a debt equity swap with an associated general offer. You get all four cows back with a tax exemption for five cows. The annual report says the company owns six cows with an option to buy one more. No balance sheet is provided with the press release. And the public buys the bull, end quote. Too harsh an assessment of today's capitalism? 
asks Warren. Not according to a growing array of business and academic leaders. They see a looming crisis in capitalism, one that must be addressed. End quote. Well, if you bought that argument, you sure did buy the bull. But to continue... Paul Pullman, CEO of Unilever, one of the largest companies in the world, asserts that capitalism has served us well, but at an enormous cost, including, quote, unsustainable levels of public and private debt, excessive consumerism, and too many people left behind, end quote. Pullman thinks none of this is sustainable. He believes capitalism is capable of evolution and thinks business leaders are critical to reforming it, end quote. Since capitalism describes a condition in which there is a separation of state and economics and under which individual rights are the operative principle, any reform to either of these two conditions, among others, would mean that we're no longer talking about capitalism. He continues, business needs to be part of the solution, he argues. It can't be a bystander in a system that gave it life in the first place. Well, <laughs> You know, capitalism is a political, moral system. It's not about business, although that's what everybody thinks it is. There's a capital, capitalism that is a business, but it's not the ism we're talking about. It was the moral and legal right to free exchange, free from government, that gave business its life. And that was a condition we call capitalism. Warren continues, One of the most influential books on capitalism was written more than 50 years ago. Joseph Schumpter's opening words are apocalyptic. Quote, can capitalism survive? No, I do not think so. He, <laughs> he maintains capitalism's very success undermines the social institutions that protect it and inevitably creates conditions in which it will not be able to live. Schumpter's most famous idea is that capitalism depends on creative destruction. It's a form of economic change that can never be stationary. It incessantly destroys the old economic structure and incessantly creates a new one. Examples of creative destruction are everywhere today. Uber replacing taxi drivers. Fintech services challenging traditional banks. Robots becoming a major means of production. For nearly a century, creative destruction has produced a net positive benefit for society. New innovations eliminated jobs, but new industries created more overall employment. Today, we may be entering a period when the creative destruction effect is eliminating more jobs than it's creating. When he says, for me nearly a century, creative destruction produced a benefit for society, well, that nearly a century he's talking about was the period of near-capitalist conditions. And when he says today, he's talking about the period when socialism and communism and fascism are at a new height relative to the first century of capitalism. Already you can see the contradiction there. The purpose of production is not to create jobs, but to create goods and services that people want and are willing to pay for. The hierarchy of cause and effect is completely backwards in this line of reasoning every time people put labor as the first consideration. And Warren continues, quote, in 1990, the big three automakers, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, earned $36 billion in revenue and employed more than one million workers. Compare that to Apple, Google, and Facebook, who together earned more than $1 trillion in revenue last year while employing only 137,000 workers. The resulting concentration of wealth and incomes constitutes one of the most pressing problems faced, facing the developed world. A strong middle class maintains a democracy. A concentration of wealth can destroy it. End quote. 
First of all, the developed world he, that he's referring to is that part of the world that once experienced capitalism. And when he's talking about a concentration of wealth and saying that a strong middle class maintains a democracy, that's not true. A strong middle class is the consequence of a free liberal democracy. You don't get the middle class first and then end up with democracy. There was no resulting concentration of wealth as described by Warren. The wealth was created and belongs to those who earned it honestly. You know, the idea that the wealth even existed before because it was concentrated around either the big three or the techno three is false. The, the, the wealth went there for a reason. It's not wealth. It was, it was money that was an exchange and became wealth when it accumulated past a certain point. Something was exchanged for that wealth. It didn't just flow and concentrate around these hubs of economic activity because of gravity. The wealth flowed out into the other direction as well, distributed in the form of affordable cars for the people who bought them and affordable technology for those who did the same. The trade is over and it's a done deal. There is no such thing as a, quote, concentration of wealth. Anymore, you can have a concentration of poverty or a concentration of comfortable income. They're all conditions, all temporary, all based on production. Warren continues, in Canada, the top 1% receives nearly 15% of the nation's total income. <laughs> End quote. I can't even get past that sentence. It's so ridiculous. Nations don't have incomes. Individuals do. Don't Canadians earn their income? Warren thinks they receive it. This, this, the whole idea is that everybody's money is everybody's money, and what you do as an individual doesn't matter. We just distribute everyone's wealth. The, the mentality is so deep, it's, it's, it's like a disease. It's like, some, it's like cancer. He writes, our economy has doubled over the last 30 years, but middle-class incomes have increased only 13%. There is also an inherent tension between the values of democracy and the dictates of capitalism. <laughs> now, there you go. When he says democracy, he doesn't mean democracy. He means majority rule, which has no values. And when he says the dictates of capitalism, he means the dictates of reality and of reason. That's the dictates of capitalism. There's not, no, no dictator there. It's just reality and reason in action. And he writes, democracy is based on the ideal of equal rights for all. And here again, I have to respond, no, it's not. Equal rights is a consequence of any government dedicated to the protection, preservation of life, liberty, and property. It's as simple as that. But a government dedicated to that essential function is not able to hand out other people's money. So that's why we don't have those protections as guaranteed as they should be. Warren continues, we are not doing enough to keep these two conflicting influences in balance. 51 of the world's largest of the world's 100 largest economies are now corporations. If Walmart were a country, it would be the 25th largest in the world. Control of governments by the uber-rich is growing in a countries like the U.S. The rest of their electorates are slowly being disenfranchised. And then, of course, <laughs> why not? Here he goes. This is again Warren saying, continuing in his essay, quote, there's also the question of whether capitalism can effectively respond to climate change. <laughs> the amount of resources we use is 1.5 times the world's resource capacity. The scale and complexity of a transition to low fossil fuels economy is daunting. End quote. Now, I don't know, did I read that right? Because that sounds too stupid for words. How is it metaphysically possible to exceed a given resource capacity by even 1%? If that's the capacity, there is no more. 
So where'd the extra 50% that we, that we use come from? How, how, do you, how do you get to, to use 1.5 times the world's resource capacity and we're still using it? I can't even make sense of a comment like that. I read that and it, it, it turns into a blank out. But he continues as though everything's normal, and he writes, Private capital may see self-interest in embracing carbon trading and developing new low-carbon technologies. But the transition will also require strong government supervision of markets and key infrastructure investments. And there's an explicit call for an end to free markets and to instill supervised by government markets. He says the result will be a kinder, gentler capitalism. This is an abject lie. The result will be communism, fascism, totalitarianism, tyranny, anything but capitalism. You don't inject government force into into a transaction and say you have gentler capitalism. How can a thug make something gentler? But given how slowly democracies are responding to the challenge of multinational corporations, he writes, the emergence of market dictatorship is a disturbing possibility. That's his conclusion. And disturbing is the right word for everything Mr. Warren has written. Perhaps disturbed is also appropriate. Now get ready for a really frustrating experience, but have no fear. We shall certainly alleviate your frustration with each passing wave as we listen to a conversation that was brought to my attention by listener Danielle, who sent me a link to that conversation and wrote, quote, this is a link from Computing Forever, a YouTube channel I recently subscribed to. The host, Dave Cullen of Computing Forever, is in Ireland. And I agree with him on most of his previous podcasts. His initial guest on this particular show is known as Independent Man, who, whose name, I guess, was John, and, and uh, he says, whom I believe is in Australia. They talk about problems with male education and problems in the workplace for a bit. Then Sargon of Akkad, who is really a person named Carl Benjamin, shows up. He's British, I believe, and someone I listen to on and off almost exclusively in regards to social justice warriors. And they talk about capitalism, or to be more accurate, what they think is capitalism. It's a rather painful discussion that starts around the one-hour, 18-minute mark of a three-hour conversation, by the way, when I went to check it. And she writes, I believe Sargon is very slick at selling his socialism and communism. Oh no, I believe in capitalism, but... And the self-depreciating, I'm not an economist, so I might be wrong, but... You can hear the other two fellows trying to reconcile their apparently capitalist beliefs with what Sargon is saying, but they just start humming when they can't bring themselves to agree, nor can they adequately defend themselves. While I find it painful to listen to, it is an insight into how slick the progressive left can be in planting, quote-unquote, reasonable doubts. Okay, Danielle, you talked me into it, and you were right. It was painful. So let us now share that pain with our listeners and join a very brief and edited portion of that three-hour conversation, which took place on August 21st of this year. We'll try to focus in on some of the more frustrating aspects of how even well-meaning and perhaps well-intentioned individuals deal with the puzzle of capitalism and freedom, especially when facing the warm heart of socialism and altruism. Are they a are they one of these mm. slogan cam, um, campaign groups of people before profit, which I'm seeing emerge all over Europe right now? Oh, without a doubt. But I mean, you know, and the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that slogan. You know, I agree with that. People before profit. You know. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's you're hiding behind that you're hiding behind a slogan, like any identity politics movement hides behind a dictionary yeah. definition of itself. 
Exactly. It's it's the means by which they intend to do any of these things I object to, you know. I mean, and the thing is, right, the easiest way to kill these movements would literally be to give them what they want, because what they want isn't actually unrealistic. You know, they're not demanding, or at least the, the people who aren't Trotskyist, aren't demanding an end to capitalism. What they're saying is that capitalism is unfair, or not even capitalism, the, the sort of neoliberal corporatist system we're in has become unfair to the poorest people in society, and it has. You know, a ridiculous amount of wealth has pulled at the top, and it's not trickling down. So something needs to be done. You know, there does need to be structural reform. And the sooner that happens, the sooner these people go away because their complaints become illegitimate. Whereas if we keep denying them any kind of reform, the crowd of people calling for a complete, you know, the destruction of the system and the implementation of the people's utopia is going to get louder and louder until they do. And these people are violent revolutionaries. You know, this is the thing. Make no mistake, these people will commit violence if they think they can get away with it. It is not... The, the welfare state does not produce prosperity. It is... The only reason you have welfare states to begin with is because you have capitalism, competition, free markets, trade that produces prosperity. You're able to afford a welfare but state. The, the thing this is, is that, how these things come about. Thing to remember there as well, right, is that... Um, Capitalism um, is, an, is an inherently competitive system, and that's mm. a good thing, is competition breeds excellence. Mm. However, yep. if you have an inherently competitive system, you must have winners and losers. You must, by definition. And the, the question is, okay, how bad do we want the losers to lose? Is it fair that someone who's not very intelligent, through no fault of their own, they're born with you know a, a brain that just isn't capable of great intellect, they're, they're not able to afford a grand education. They perhaps don't have both parents in the home. The, these people are handicapped by many, many, many circumstances beyond their control. Is it fair mm. to, for them to be impoverished? Mm, I, I think f I'm not a big fan of fairness, to be honest with you, uh, because they're, they're nowhere in society do you find fairness. That is the not, not okay, the natural the state is, of things. Okay, but now you have just encouraged a communist revolution. People have to have a stake in the society to want to see it maintained. If they hmm. don't, they will see it as oppressive. And if they see it as oppressive, when some lunatic comes along and says, you know what people shouldn't be able to own? Their own means of production. These lunatics who have got no chance hmm. of owning anything, snap it up. They're, they're all for it. And so these yeah. Pied Pipers will end up leading the poor and destitute and moronic to overthrowing an otherwise very good system. So it is mm. in the interests of the people who currently benefit from the system to make sure that the, the number of people who are losing out in the system, A, isn't very big, and B, they're not losing out by very much. I think it's a yeah. fundamental flaw within capitalism, which is always self-writing, which is why it'll always ultimately collapse and then have to start again. The, the problem is, mm. along the way, during that collapse, people will be arguing for communist-type systems or, or just basic socialism. And so I look at it and I say, well, it's a fair and open competitive system. Until such time as a, an elite group of people gain sufficient power that they work with the government to introduce regulation to create a monopoly to prevent other people and keep everyone out, uh, out from ever competing for the same resources they're using to, to develop whatever product or system or service or whatever that they're, 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 they're enjoying. And so this is, this is the issue with capitalism. This is its this is its greatest weakness. Is is the fact that once you have power, you have the power to corrupt those who who will ultimately rule over everybody else.
I think it's it comes down to this. It's, there's a, the pe- people on the right have a different way of helping those that are at the low rung of society rather than throwing welfare at them and affirmative action and positive discrimination and all the other stupid things. We would actually rather help them like cutting minimum wages so more people can have a job instead of paying them some arbitrary uh, living wage that some economist came up with in a university, which is nonsense because it doesn't incentivize people to actually work hard. I think there's just a different way okay, what, of trying what, what to help I people. Earlier, though, I mean, you, you can incentivize people all you want, but you can't incentivize the people who can't achieve to achieve. Yeah, you, you're basically I saying they need some kind of a safety net there, which yeah. is why you'll always need some kind of a welfare state. Because it's, it's all well and good for people who are intelligent, upwardly mobile, creative, to say, well, anyone can do this, but some people are physically not able to do that. Some people, I mean, yeah. some people are literally just stupid. I'm not talking about the welfare state. I'm talking about the people on minimum wage doing shit jobs that can barely afford to get by. Why, mm. do, why does the janitor deserve to be paid fuck all? Why does a waiter deserve to be paid fuck all? They're the ones doing the actual labor of running the business, and then the CEO gets unbelievable amounts of money. And it's like, look, dude, if you didn't have these people working for you for a pittance, you wouldn't have stacks of cash. And frankly, there mm. is going to have to be some sort of wealth distribution. Redistribution. I don't like that idea. Yeah, I don't like it either. Right, this isn't, I don't care if you don't like it, it's going to have to happen, or our society is going to collapse. So the question is, how do we want it to happen? Do we, yeah. want, no, no, do we want the Marxists to revolt and take over mm. an institute in Marxist utopia, or do we want actual liberal reforms through regulation that will take effect over time and improve people's living standards over time? Well, you could begin a holistic, natural method. That discussion we heard was from Computing Forever, as it was posted on August 21st of this year, featuring the three speakers, Dave Colin, Carl Benjamin, as Sargon, the socialist, and Independent Man, who I think his name is John. But, but they touched upon a lot of points. And I want to sort of deal with each of them one at a time, and, and let's see what we can make of what they're saying. People before, quote-unquote, profits, the slogan is, is evil. It is a call for theft and expropriation, plain and simple. It cannot mean anything else. Not possible. Because otherwise it's a mindless slogan. What, somebody shouldn't have profit and therefore we can take it. That's what it means. And note the word people. It's the collective. No particular individuals mentioned. No owner of the profit mentioned, who, who just might be a people. The people before profit is the kind of slogan used by people after somebody else's profit. Remember, a profit is caused only by one thing, by earning income in, in, in excess of one's expenses in a given period of time. You can get rid of the profit by increasing your expenses. Pay yourself a lot more and you won't have a profit <laughs> if it's a corporation. So you can't put people before or after that. The whole process is a human activity. People aren't on the income and expense sheet. Revenues, expenses, assets, and liabilities are. A company that makes a big profit this year may in fact even be horribly in debt and owe billions and and be up to debt in its ears, up to its ears. You just don't know. Then then, uh, Sargon argues that the corporatist system requires structural reform to make the poor and disenfranchised go away. Otherwise, we're going to be faced with violent revolutionaries, don't you know? This is Sargon talking when he says that capitalism is competitive, which by definition means you must have winners and losers. 
Well, competition is a quality of pro- of capitalism, a property of capitalism, I guess, but it's not the distinctive nature of capitalism. Capitalism simply means that nobody has a right to point a gun at anybody else, especially to steal his profits, earnings, or rights, or his ability to make a living, honestly. In talking about winners and losers, who's he talking about? The producers or the consumers? Both are winners when each provides the other with a consensual exchange. A forced exchange would definitely create at least one, if not two, losers. What have they won or lost? What, a share in the marketplace? A larger customer base? Losses in the form of bankruptcy and deficits are painful to those who suffer them, but the freedom to lose is as essential as the freedom to win, and it's, it's part of the nature of capitalism, is to get rid of all that dead weight and all those you know, businesses and activities that, should no, that are no longer economically viable. Another part of the conversation that came up was when they talked about capitalism always collapsing and reviving, and along the way, communists are waiting to take over. <laughs> and one of the other speakers said, the pro- that's the problem with capitalism. Once you have power, you have the power to corrupt those who rule over everybody else. That's not a problem with capitalism. The freedom to earn your money hasn't got anything to do, anything to do with corrupt politicians. The corruption of those who rule is its own self-contained problem and is the normal and permanent condition of those who rule in non-capitalistic countries. They're all corrupt because corruption is anything that's not capitalistic. Isn't, isn't that obvious? Capitalism is the standard by which we know something is corrupt or not. Freedom is the standard by which we know something is right or not, acceptable or not. You violate those principles, you're corrupt. Sorry. Economic power is not the same as political power. Economic power does not exempt anyone from having to deal with others on a consensual basis. Political power does. In fact, it works on the opposite principle. No consent. Uh, Quote-unquote, reforming capitalism is the refrain of all three speakers in the conversation as the solution to the poverty issue. Hence, capitalism is viewed entirely through the insurmountable issue of redistributing wealth from those who earned it to those who didn't. No wonder they've got a problem. Because <laughs> they're destroying wealth. They're, they're redistributing it. That's what redistribution of wealth does, is destroy it. It kills its value. Now, Sargon's constant references to the poor people he wants to help, it sounds so contemptuous, and he makes no secret of it. He's not advocating a welfare state but prefers to see minimum wage workers who are doing crap jobs get paid a lot more. How is that going to be forced without some, the state doing something, right? And then he says uh, <laughs> that the CEO gets a lot of money. Why does the janitor and waiter get F all? Well, I find it amazing that a grown adult would ask such a question. The answers seem self-evident and suggest no injustice, whatever. But Sargon sees social injustice everywhere. Any inequity is an injustice if it does not meet with his subjective approvals. The psychology at work here is amazing, to say nothing of the lack of morality and logic. Why should a janitor whose skills would be in great supply and doesn't require the skills and knowledge of the CEO get paid the same as a CEO? A CEO has responsibilities that include all aspects of the business, including ultimately the janitors themselves who have no such responsibilities. It's that blindness to the other that is so socialistically motivating. Socialists are very, how can I say it? They, they accuse capitalists of being selfish, but they are the ones who are the self-centered ones. 
They are the ones consumed with greed. Everything. Greed is wanting the unearned. Wanting the earned is not greed. That's justice. That's production. That's morality. That's how the world should operate. And then Sargon says, if you didn't have these people working working for you for a pittance, you wouldn't have these stacks of cash, and there will have to be some sort of wealth redistribution. Again, a blatant call for theft. This is simply not so. The employer or company owner could just as easily have suffered a loss, irrespective of the wages they might be paying at the time. One thing's for sure, without a profit, nobody gets paid anything. And then he says, the question is, do we want Marxist revolt or liberal reforms to do the same thing? So here we have the sheer evil hypocrisy of Sargon's argument. Let's save the patient by killing him. Let's achieve Marxism through liberal reform and avoid the unnecessary violence that will otherwise take us there. But the people having a stake in the business would be the people who run the business. That's that, I think that's what I'm really trying to propose. I, I think that the people outside of it who just happen to have money, I mean, why should they have a stake in a business they don't work for? Uh, well, because because private exchange of of money is permissible. Yeah. Because if if you if I say hey Sargon I'll I'll give you you need you need to dig out I'll give you some money and give me yeah a but percent. that means that, okay so I can buy a child slave right? It, it's all about capital allocation and where you want to put your surplus capital. Yeah, I mean, but that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you why should someone who doesn't work for a business be able to own a stake in it? Why, why not? Should, why shouldn't they? Because they don't work yeah. for business. They've, they've got, they, they, they don't put anything into this and they take out from it because they well, have they, money. Uh, yeah, but what, what, about, what about an angel um, investor? What about a dragon? When, Sorry, when you're talking about an IPO, when you're talking about an IPO, which is you know floating, let, floating 50 million shares at 10 pounds a share, the people who buy those, they are providing the capital for that business. Yeah, I know. They, they, they don't yeah. work. They don't yeah. work for the business, but you they know, are providing the capital that 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 company is going to use to expand its business or hire people. Yeah. I mean, this is. Yeah, they 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 they're making money out of a business because they already have money. Yeah. They're not What's doing. Wrong with they're that? not doing any work. <laughs> Well, they, they, you know, they've used their intelligence and the capital that they've accumulated. I'm not saying they're bad people. They've taken advantage of the system that already exists to enrich themselves. Everyone does this, but is that really the best system? Is that really the best way of doing this? Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. It's not a perfect system, but your problem is always going to be coming up, perfect, coming up with a better one. one. Well, I think there are better ones. I, yeah, but I mean, you still haven't articulated that particularly well. I don't think you haven't come up with oh, a better system. Oh, I probably system. haven't articulated it especially well, and that's probably because I'm I'm not some expert economist. But I mean, do, you you still not answer the question. Why should someone outside of the business be able to profit? From Again, the, I th- the I main think, reason. I think it's I a think poor question. <laughs> the, the main well, reason is relevancy. Can I just well, why, is that, why sorry, is that relevant? Sorry, I can just jump in here. I think the main reason is because I believe that you, who created your own business, should be able to do whatever you want with your business, including mm-hmm. raising funding and capital from me if you want to. And as and in exchange, and I get including a buying child slaves from Saudi Arabia. No, 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 nobody, nobody said that. that, no, that, no, that is, you just did. You just did, though, man. You said no, no, I, I think that your that. business, you should be able to do whatever you want with it. Except we don't think that. No, you no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Anything, Sargon, Sargon, hang on a second. Anything legal 
Okay, if it, look, okay. What, what is wrong? What is wrong with you saying, Dave, I need a uh, hundred thousand, and in exchange for that, I'll give you three percent of my business? And I said, there you go. Or you know, we'll negotiate. I'll, yeah, I'll sure, take that's legal. Right. Yeah, that's totally legal. Right, right. No, I know. Okay, but if, I, if we change the law so that's not illegal, uh, that's not legal. No, no, it. You know, I'm not going to enter into a business arrangement that isn't legal or is immoral. Yeah. I never said anything about yeah, child okay, labor. Okay, but the, yeah, but this is my point. You, if your if your category of why you do something or not is because it's legal, then we can, then you have no problem with us making that illegal. You go, well, I'm not going to do that because it's illegal. Now. Well, if you want to make a moral argument, uh, a moral argument, I, I think the most immoral thing you can do is to come in and demand at a point of a gun and say you have to surrender some part of your wealth, your money, to somebody else. Well, I'm not because, an so I don't agree with that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's where you end up. I mean, at some point. I think well, that's, that's where you that's have to end. the concept of the state, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I'm not I'm not against the concept of the state. So I I don't I I don't think that argument holds any value. failing to see, I mean, you've said that you're against it, and yet somehow you're also kind of for it. You're That's also important. for it. Yeah. What, 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 sorry, I'm for what exactly? And I'm against what exactly? Okay, and I'm not having to go, Saragon, no, honestly. I'm not, I'm not having to go either. I'm, I'm genuinely I'm, I'm just, just saying that you, we, we understand that we have to have wealth redistribution, and that people shouldn't nece necessarily be able to do whatever they want in mm -hmm. certain instances with their business because ultimately what a CEO does at the highest level is not necessarily worth the labor labor of the person at the at the bottom of the ladder. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of the day, what something is worth is still subjective. Of course it is. Right. And and so if I say, if you say to me it, look an additional uh, 100,000 investment of capital is worth 3% and I say hey it's worth 5 okay we'll shake hands on that that's all I've done now if, if somebody comes along and the government comes yeah, along that's and says, not where it stops, on, though, is it? that's not where it stops because what you're then saying is that because I'm wealthy I am now entitled to the product of the labor of people being paid piss all an hour because I'm wealthy these people are now going to become effectively my serfs because mm -hmm. I and I'm going to profit from their labor, even though I'm doing no work of my own, and I happen to have stacks of cash. It does. It what, when you say that though, it does mm. sound a little bit like Marx's first principle on Marxism, which yeah. is that effectively yeah. profit is a form of theft. Mm, okay, no, I don't. I don't agree that profit is a form of theft, but I do think that labor has value. You know, I mean, obviously labor has value, and so if you're making money out of someone else's labor without having contributed any labor of your own, how is that not theft? You you have created the entire business. Should you not be allowed to enjoy the fruits of your labor when you, yeah. you created it? You are, you are enjoying the fruits of your labor. You're still getting 25 times what the janitor earns and whatnot. You're obviously enjoying the fruits of your labor. The question is, how much fruit do you get to enjoy? You know? As much as you, as much as you like, it's your capital. You get to enjoy we, as much we, as, we as you like. We don't do that. We have minimum wage laws. We don't have you get to enjoy as much as you like. We, we're not that kind of predatory yeah. people. Well, I mean, we, again, we, we within, within those constraints, obviously, within the constraints yeah. of uh, you have to pay. That's what I'm suggesting. Adding a constraint. You're listening to Just Right, whose every episode can be accessed and heard online by visiting www.justrightmedia.org. 
Uh, is this conversation getting a bit too weird for you? <laughs> Some outrageous contradictions at play there, I gotta say. People having a stake in the business should be the only people who run the business, or people outside the business shouldn't have a stake. That's a pretty extreme point of view by anyone, but is very consistent with any anti-capitalistic philosophy. I don't think that particular view would be shared by all socialists, but it's consistent with how they think. Yes, why should anyone who doesn't own a business be able to earn a stake in it? Well, if he's earning it, that made it self-evident. Yeah, if he's earning a stake in it, then he can own it. Because they don't put anything into the business. Well, that's crap. They put their expertise and knowledge and capital into the business. He, he argues, Sargon argues, they're making money out of a business because they already have money. They are taking advantage of the system that exists. Again, and I haven't said it yet, but all of this kind of thinking is based on a huge fallacy. An economic one, by the way. And it's the fallacy of the labor theory of value. The idea that the worth of everything is based on the labor put into it. Then Sargon comes out, there are better systems, and he can't articulate it well because he's not an expert economist, he says, but why should a person be able to do what they want with their business? He keeps insisting. Now, Sargon is posing an exclusively moral question and excusing his unwillingness to articulate his totalitarian ideas because of his lack of economic expertise. You can't compare an economic system to, to, to a moral question. So I can buy a child slave, right? <laughs> he says, oh my God. Again, he dispenses with the context of the conversation. The irony is that among the speakers there, it would be Sargon who would be most likely to buy a child slave since he doesn't even question his own slavery plan for business owners and entrepreneurs. He doesn't see that as slavery. Slavery, by the way, is the condition that arises in the absence of capitalism. Anything illegal is okay, says Sargon, and, but if, you know, if we don't like it, well, we'll just make you know, breaking my plan illegal. Now, that's kind of the first consistent argument Sargon made, and he trapped his opponents with it to say that if your justification for something is just because it's legal, then all we have to do is make something illegal. The other, the other speakers should not have tried to defend economic freedom on the basis of being legal, but on the basis of its not violating life, liberty, and property, or even consent. None of those words entered their debate, and so, naturally, confusion, contradictions, and inconsistencies abounded. To say nothing of failing to arrive at any solutions to their self-imposed dilemmas. Human beings, as rational, independent agents with their own life purposes and objectives and their individual rights, did not make an appearance in this discussion. And the question never answered is, how can one justify violating another person's individual rights? Speaker Dave, who, who said, well, there's a moral argument. The state comes in at the point of a gun and says you have to surrender part of your wealth to someone else. But Sargon says, well, I don't agree with that. But in response to the fact that his proposals would, quote, end up at the concept of the state, he replies, oblivious to his own comment, quote, I'm not against the concept of the state, so I don't think that argument holds any value. Huh? What was that? Sargon doesn't agree with the state forcing to surrender wealth, forcing someone to surrender wealth, but at the same time says it's okay because he has no objection to the concept of the state. <laughs> and much to the other shock of the other two speakers, you know, hey, you said you're kind of for it, against it? And then, and then Sargon comes back with, with the classic. Against what? To deflect the attention. Against capitalism. 
but he doesn't say it. So suddenly what happens? The subject defaults back to the non-essential. What are they talking about? Not capitalism, but wealth redistribution. We have to have wealth redistribution. That statement is said out of context. There's no reason to say it. Why wealth redistribution? Isn't there any other solution to the problem of poverty besides this stealing? I mean, I, got, I can think of about a thousand, but nobody thinks of the other 999. <laughs> stealing is the socialist's only option. How they got, got caught in this mindless loop was quite amusing and very self-defeating to, to, to watch it happen. Wealth redistribution is not a discussion about the way that wealth and money is circulated in a market. Wealth redistribution is the political process of robbing Peter to pay Paul. End of story. The robber gets all the power, which is the real objective of the whole exercise in the first place. Don't fool yourself into thinking they're doing some good for somebody. We have to have wealth redistribution. No, you don't. <laughs> wealth redistribution is a fact. We already have it. It happens not as an end, but as a process in the, in, in the process of production and consumption. Wealth redistrib redistributors want to redistribute the wealth outside of the production and consumption chain to people who aren't involved in that chain. The wealth that everybody's talking about has already been distributed voluntarily and freely and found its way to the people who earned it. To talk about redistributing someone else's earnings is so monstrously immoral and criminal a thought to me that to hear others entertain it in a mere passing conversation is a bit like hearing a bunch of people talking about child abuse and advocating it. It really is. I'm sorry. That's the moral level that we are at, and it will have, the, have serious effects. Any state-directed or third-party-directed distribution plans are not necessary. There is no distribution going on at all. Either redistribution or just plain first-time distribution, none of that's going on. It is the communist euphemism for robbery and theft, wherein how the thief or government spends their stolen money is not any form of legitimate redistribution of any kind. It is the very process that destroys all value, and the freedoms and rights enjoyed by the nations of the West. At the end of the day, what something is worth is subjective, says one of the speakers, to which Sargon casually replies, of course it is. Did he not realize how that fact and accepting that fact alone totally contradicted his every premise and suggestion? Either that or he's justifying the use of his subjectivity as his authority over others. It could be that the way he's looking at it. Because I'm wealthy, these people become effectively my serfs, he says, and I'm going to profit from their labor, even though I'm doing no work of my own and I happen to have stacks of cash. And the other guy replies, sounds a bit like Marx's first principle that profit is a form of theft. He says, oh, no, I don't believe that, he says, but I do believe that labor has value. He has this weird formula, you know, how much fruit do you get to enjoy? Well, 25 times your lowest employee. Well, why not 26? <laughs> why not 24? Utterly subjective and make-believe. What are we to do? Are we to introduce a livable wage? No, I, I genuinely think that we should have uh, the pay of the top members of the company being tied directly to the pay of the bottom members of the company. So if they want to earn more money, then the people at the bottom have to earn more money. And if, if, if it's about the incentive. If a CEO is like, God, I want millions this year, you know, then they're going to have to make sure that they're making enough... Uh, all over, 
and not they can just skim out a big chunk in a dividend for themselves, saying, well, this is my profits, and I've paid you the minimum wage. This is, a is, is it a proportional increase, though? Because otherwise you'll just get this this kind of sameness of an economy of scale where every, every, all you know, boats will move at the same rate uh, the gap between rich and poor would not close in that instance I think the gap between rich and poor would close because the rich would have to necessarily pay themselves less hmm. but are you, so you're saying through not just through salaries but you're saying uh, restricting dividends res restricting options no, that are granted to directors uh, and well, I suppose restriction is the way to put it but it's not it's, uh, yeah okay yeah sorry Karen hmm I think we're going to end up talking past each other all day if we keep going down this because okay. I'm finding we're, we're going in a little circle. Let me just let me just throw this at you, Sargon. Okay, so John has 50 YouTube subscribers. Okay, he makes basically nothing through AdSense, and he has mm -hmm. a Patreon where he's bringing in three dollars a month. Sargon has nearly 400,000 subscribers. He pulls in 12, 1300 a month. Now, Sargon, how many subscribers do you really need? How much Patreon money do you really need? So suddenly. We're going to cap you at half a million. Sargon has 400,000 subscribers. He's not allowed to go beyond 500,000 subscribers. Now, John works his ass off on amazing videos. He produces 10 videos a week. Sargon produces three videos a week. So this person is working very, very hard. And now, Sargon, you need to incentivize that person to work even harder, but disincentivize yourself by giving a certain percentage of your Patreon money to John because he earns less than you. Okay, th this is a totally deformed analogy, right? I don't think so. I, You're still okay, a let me explain person. what it is. Let me explain what it is, right? I am not employing John. No. I am not in any way suggesting that a business's size should be capped. Okay. I am not suggesting that I should be given unfettered amounts of money. If, under my rules, under the rules I proposed, these come in, I have my the, the amount of money I can pay myself is twenty five times the lowest level employee in my organization. I don't have any employees, so I don't have anyone else to pay. So any profits become my profits and they're legitimately earned through my work. Why, why should someone be a billionaire? Well, because they've, earned, they've earned it. <laughs> I'm I'm not, yeah. not, I'm, that's the politics of envy, Sargon. No, no, no. Yeah, no it listen, is, listen, it listen, really stop, is. stop with these conservative buzzwords. And actually, let's talk about the actual issue, right? I'm serious. Do you think, what can a person do that's worth a billion dollars? Okay, let, let me just... Well, that's, just, just a, that's a pointless question. That's like, why are we here? It is an absolutely no, pointless question. It's not a question. pointless question, yeah, because just, this, is what, this is what you're defending, right? You are defending massive wealth inequality on the asinine notion that billionaires somehow just worked hard enough to become billionaires. No, they didn't. They Deserving took has nothing to do they with it. They took advantage of systems that are currently in place that we all agree are bad systems and are corrupting the way society is going. We, oh, we know that well, the politicians are being bought off by corporations to create loopholes for them to be able to make stacks and unrealistic stacks of cash. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Sargon, 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 you, you develop the next Facebook and you sell it for a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. You've developed that in, in your garage and mm -hmm. you sell it for a billion dollars. Yeah. You're telling me that you don't deserve that? Well, I'm telling you that the value of the labor isn't a billion dollars. And you, like, yeah. okay, if we're talking about value of labor, sure, he isn't worth 
stacks of cash. He's not worth 50 grand a year, but then someone who makes the new Facebook isn't worth a billion dollars. That's not a billion dollars worth of labor. You but start who are you to decide talking about this? It, who are exactly. you to decide that it's not worth a billion dollars? I, I mean, I'm if the, the market is willing to pay, saying, look, this is going to ruin our society. You know, th this is the thing. I don't really want these sort of people who are, all they're concerned about is making money at the top. I mean, we've seen the problem with that. You know, I mean, what what was the uh, there was a study done where it's like something past seven hundred million pounds or dollars or whatever. Then there is hmm. literally no benefit to having more money than that. So people, the people who have earned more than $700 million, like Bill Gates, I mean, they set up the Gates Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. I mean, they, those things wouldn't exist if they didn't earn that kind of money, and they do good work around the no, world. No, but other things would exist in their stead, wouldn't they? I mean, do you would really they, want though? Bill Gates, a man who you didn't elect, you, you, didn't, you didn't have any kind of say in Bill Gates' ascension to this kind of power, to now change society as he sees fit, like George Soros, mm. you have no say in what they do, and they are absolutely able to change your society because of the raw power they have through the sheer amount of wealth they control. Is that in any way a sensible thing for a democratic society to permit? What kind of person is worth a billion dollars? The kind who earns it. The kind who gets it voluntarily with the consent of the people who exchanged that money with him for a product or a good or service. Let's not forget this is an exchange going on here. It's not, they talk about money like it's moving in one direction and there are no other elements involved in the process at all. Socialist Sargon is utterly obsessed with other people's money and wants it redistributed. To rationalize this evil intention, he appeals to economic theory, as do all politicians of all political stripes. Needless to say, socialist Sargon suffers from the fallacies of the labor theory of value. You know, the cost of labor does not determine the value of a product, object, or service in which the labor was involved. The value of anything in economic terms can only be determined in, in an environment of mutual consent, where you can know what a person is truly willing and able to spend on something. Outside of that environment of freedom, all valuations are arbitrary and very destructive. Sargon can spend a week digging a hole and then filling it up without, you know, that being of any value to anyone, yet he's working. Nothing retains its original value forever. Most things depreciate. Some things appreciate and far exceed their production or labor cost. From art to comic books to antique cars and furniture, prices determined by the law of supply and demand are always just and not just about labor. The labor theory of value excludes the mind. It excludes rationality. It is entirely based on physical, physical labor, labor that must be directed by someone's mind. Therefore, no one should be a billionaire, says socialist Sargon. This is from the Daily Telegraph, as reprinted in the London Free Press on March 9, 2016, and the headline reads, Ordinary People Can Change the World by Harry Wallop. And the article is accompanied by a picture of a very pretty young girl named Sarah Blakely. The caption under the photo reads, Spanx founder Sarah Blakely did not quit her day job when she first developed her body-shaping lingerie. The self-made billionaire, author Adam Grant writes, is an example of an entrepreneur who took a cautious approach. And the article begins, quote, this is interesting, 
When you need to type a website address into your computer or smartphone, which browser do you use? Safari, Firefox, Chrome, or Internet Explorer? Well, if you use Firefox or Chrome, you're more likely to stay in your job longer, to turn up to work more often, and if you are a salesman, be more successful. This is the conclusion of a detailed study of 30,000 workers at various companies. Why on earth would that be? Simple, says Adam Grant, a business school professor. Internet Explorer comes as the default browser on most PCs, and Safari is pre-installed on Apple products. To get Firefox or Chrome, you have to demonstrate some resourcefulness and download a different browser instead of accepting the default. You take a bit of initiative to seek out an option that might be better, he says. The finding is one of many he has collected in his entertaining book, Originals, How Nonconformists Change the World. One of Adam Grant's theories is that many of the great entrepreneurs have been cautious procrastinators. Quote, originals are initiative takers, he says. That doesn't mean they have to be risk takers. Sarah Blakely carried on selling fax machines for two years after developing Spanx. Her body-shaping lingerie made her the youngest self-made billionaire. Likewise, Jessica Heron, founder of the fashion brand Stella and Dot, was also told by everyone she was crazy and not to quit her day job. Grant is a huge admirer of the nonconformist streak that runs through Silicon Valley, but says that may be the reason why they don't play ball when it comes to paying much tax. But what a contrast in attitude and outlook on success and how individuals can change the world. Socialist Sargon would prevent Sarah Blakely from changing the world until permission for her success was put to a democratic vote. You remember he said, you had no say about Bill Gates' ascension to power. Yes, we did. We bought his computers. Hello? You see, socialists are always forgetting the other side of the equation. <laughs> they only see the money because they're obsessed with it. They don't know how to earn it. Now here it is, the objective definition of capitalism, as provided by Ayn Rand, the person who, who knew most about it. Capitalism is a social system based on the recognition of individual rights, including property rights, in which all property is privately owned. The recognition of individual rights entails the banishment of physical force from human relationships. Basically, rights can be violated only by means of force. In a capitalist society, no man or group may initiate the use of physical force against others. The government is the means of replacing retaliatory force under objective control, i.e. justice. When I say capitalism, says Rand, I mean a full, pure, uncontrolled, unregulated, laissez-faire capitalism with a separation of state and economics in the same way and for the same reasons as the separation of state and church. The moral justification of capitalism does not lie in the altruist claim that it represents the best way to achieve the common good. It is true that capitalism does, but this is merely a secondary consequence. The moral justification of capitalism lies in the fact that it's the only system consonant with man's rational nature, that it protects man's survival qua man, that its ruling principle is justice. The economic value of a man's work is determined on a free market, which means, of course, free of coercion, by a single principle, by the voluntary consent of those who are willing to trade with him their work or products in return. This is the moral meaning of the law of supply and demand. End quote. 
Now, I can't think of anyone else who would ever have been able to discover and identify the moral meaning of the law of supply and demand other than Ayn Rand. Or, you know, economists, to them, it's just economics. But there's a morality behind supply and demand. Contrast her definition of capitalism with the struggle about capitalism we've been hearing and reading about on the show today. Consent was the word missing from everyone else's conversations and discussions about capitalism. There is a deep-rooted psychological reason for this, and that's because the principle of consent would stand in the way of everybody's altruistic with other people's money solution to the inequality problem, which isn't a problem. Most people I've heard advocate for the poor or disadvantaged over my many years of listening to more of more of them than I can count really don't give two hoots about their proclaimed victims or the people they pretend to help. They use those people for political power, a power that always takes the same form since the days of the fall of Rome to the present. If you are an anti-poverty activist, then your only political option is capitalism. If you're advocating anything else, you're a poverty advocate or a poverty pimp, that class of politicians who milk the public dry with their fantasy delusions of eliminating poverty, which is a metaphysical impossibility, by the way. Also, don't confuse the wealth redistribution and economic equality arguments with true welfare issues or what the correct political response to poverty should be. Those are issues we've already detailed extensively on past broadcasts of Just Right, and will probably and undoubtedly do so and again in the future. You may walk away from all of this thinking that a fellow like Socialist Sargon is a bit of a far-fetched example of the typical anti-capitalist or socialist. He is not. Yeah, he's got a couple of wacky ideas that might not be shared by every socialist, but that's typical of all socialist movements. The consistency is rarely in the particulars, but in the motivation and in the philosophy and ultimate resort to state force as the solution to every perceived economic inequity and social problem. Inequities are not injustices, unless they concern individual freedom and rights. Mention any inequity and the Sargons of the world will only be able to see injustices, regardless of any differing or unique circumstances or if there isn't any. They just see injustice. Show them any picture of, a, of a, an employer-employee relationship and that's injustice. Sargon was a perfect spokesman for irrationality and for the wealth redistributionist mentality. He and others, all others, who believe in anything that they like to call wealth redistribution through government are, in a word, communists or fascists, or some sort of collectivist that is not good for the rest of us. And communism is a philosophy that is not based on consent. Red alert. Time's up for today. Join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Now, Mr. Swan, I'm going to show you some ink blots on these charts here. I want you to tell me what they remind you of. Are you ready? A man and a woman hugging. Next. Another man and a woman hugging. Next. A man and a woman kissing. Mr. Smart, you seem to show a definite preoccupation with men and women hugging and kissing. Me? 
Huh. You're the one with the weird picture collection. 